1: Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back to the QB11 show. I am Doug Scott, joined as always by QB11, Andrew himself. How are you? I am doing excellent. I am so excited for Saturday. And like the fact
0: that Husky fans have been like zero dark 30 silent on Twitter um, and on their message boards and everywhere in between just tells me everything I need to know about how they feel about Saturday.
1: Yeah, that's kind of funny, isn't it? Um, you know, I got some Husky fans that have been like uh, you know, whatever you want to say, trash talking like since January, like relentlessly, and all of a sudden now, very quiet this week. Yeah, very game quiet. week comes, hate week. You think this is the time
0: to air it out, and it's just been—I don't know. There's like an echo that returns when I send shots towards Montlake. Um, radio
1: silent, radio silent. Yeah,
0: especially when you consider how boisterous and loud they were. On September on the night of September third and the couple of weeks ensuing, when they were off to a four and zero start playing against the Little Sisters of the Poor,
1: yeah, yeah, for sure, it is Hate Week. I am I'm all about it. Um, well, you, I can't wait to break down. We'll get into this game. We'll talk about it as long as we want. Of course, we'll have our picks against the spread uh, around the Pac-12 and and some games around the country at the end too. But let's just uh, let's just fire this baby off. Let's start with the Oregon offense versus the Washington defense. Give me some high-level thoughts there. Uh, high-level thoughts. Uh, Oregon's
0: going to get whatever they want in this game. Like, I- I'm just going to be very blunt this week. Like, it- And if it comes back to bite me and I sound arrogant, and, well, I am arrogant when it comes to this game, but if it sounds arrogant and we look bad, that's totally fine. But the Washington defense has not been able to stop the run like on an efficiency or an explosiv- explosiveness basis this year. Uh, they are currently 86th in average line yards. They don't have their 64th in stuff rate. Um, they they really struggle against the run, and frankly, they've played a lot of passing offenses and not really any offenses that really compare to Oregon from a run standpoint. The closest thing that they've played is Oregon State last week, but that's a completely one-dimensional team that can't throw the ball too. So they were able to go to a bare front early in that game. Oregon State still ran the ball like really, really effectively to the point where on our our uh, podcast breaking down last week's action. We both thought like Jonathan Smith actively sabotaged himself by not just sticking to the run. Um, which is saying something because Oregon State's about uh Oregon State is in the twenties um in EPA per rush. Oregon is first nationally uh in the entire country, also first in, in rushing success rate. So uh this is gonna be the best rushing offense Washington has seen by far. They haven't fared well against the rushing offenses they've seen. I don't see that changing this week. Um and things don't get better for them when you look at the secondary they're in the back half of their defense. So um this Wait, is before a game- you get into
1: the secondary QB, I, I'm I'm gonna play a little devil's advocate here because this is something I've heard most of the season. And if depending on the statistics you look at, it's backed up. Like Washington ranks first in the Pac twelve in yards per carry allowed. So I, I that doesn't jive with what you're telling me. What is this a what's the disconnect here? Uh well, when you look at
0: contextless contextless raw stats, you get contextless answers that don't really tell you the whole story. I think that's the first place we could start. Um, the other piece is that they've done a decent job scoring in their games, um, and so the teams have primarily thrown on them. But also, their pass defense is somehow substantially worse than their rush defense still. Uh, so teams have just taken what they can do well. Teams like Arizona don't run the ball particularly well. They don't really try to run the ball because of that. Uh, they, they they were airing it out. UCLA ran with success. Uh, or Oregon State ran with success. Cal didn't, but Cal was able to carve them up through the air as well. So I, I think that's mostly matchup dictated that their their yards per carry average is good. Um, but they've partially it's because teams have just chosen to take the path of least resistance against their secondary
1: yeah i i would agree with that and i've actually watched a, a lot of husky games this year i guess call me a, a glutton for punishment or, or maybe i'm just a, a, a sort of disciple of sun tzu and i believe you know know your enemy right so i've watched i mean probably i i'd say most of their games yeah at least five or six full games and probably portions of of the others so uh i i think my 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 observations tend to bear out what you're saying um even though like statistically they're you know they seem to do okay against a run primarily because teams like you said especially early in the year were not were not in a positive scoreboard situation so really had to abandon the run you know fairly early in games and also i think the huskies have dedicated a lot of bodies at times to to slow down opponents rushing attacks which probably means they know they need to um but even so UCLA was able to carve them up on the ground Oregon State particularly in the first you know three quarters of that game were able to to get what they wanted so i do think it's a case of you know statistics not telling the full story in this one and certainly i would tend to agree with you i mean Oregon is uh as you said one of the, one of the most successful rushing teams in the country most effective and efficient rushing teams in the country and um I don't think Washington has, has the bodies, has the talent to, to stop that.
0: Yeah, I mean, for, uh, for example, like Washington defensively, they're 86th in EPA per rush out of 131, uh, which would tell you that they're not particularly good on an efficiency basis of stopping the run. But they're 123rd out of 131 in EPA per pass, right? Like comparatively, Oregon is 4th in EPA per pass offensively and 1st in EPA per rush. Um. So, yeah. Also, Oregon is first in quality drive rate nationally. Uh, in terms of points per quality drive surrendered, Washington is 123rd out of 131 teams. Uh, they're also 120th and 3rd slash 4th down success rate and 99th in early down EPA. So that's a mixture of run per pass, whereas Oregon is first in early down uh, EPA, which makes sense because Oregon has lived ahead of the chains all year, and I do not see that changing in any way, shape, or form this week, like both statistically and then watching the film and looking at the matchups. Like Oregon, specifically on the interior of the offensive line against the interior defensive line of the Washington Huskies has a, like, meteoric advantage. and I Like, Washington is going to have to choose and the problem that the bind that their defensive staff is in is no matter what they choose, they're wrong. Because if they apply extra bodies to the front, we will just spread them out, switch personnel groupings, and and take take them to task uh, through the air. I know that they uh, some Husky fans feel a little bit more confident just given the fact that their secondary is somewhat more healthy than it's been. But the overall quality of the secondary is what I have in question, not the health. I don't think it's been an injury issue. I'm sure injuries have have attributed to it, but you don't get to 130. 123rd out of 131 in EPA per pass um, just because of a single injury or a single guy playing out of position. It's that's a systematic problem and a talent issue across the board.
1: Yeah the Washington defense is as you mentioned 104th in the country in points per drive you know 101st in available yards allowed um, 108th in an opponent touchdown percentage. Uh, It's it's and uh, you know, as, as you said, it, it's a pick your poison situation here because you know if they want to come down and and stop the run, there's going to be plenty of opportunities available in the passing game. Because as as good as I don't think they are against the run, they're much worse against the pass. So I I, I don't know what they're going to do to try to slow down Oregon in this game. Um, Oregon is you know first in points per drive, first in available draw, yards, first in touchdown percentage, second in yards per play. Um, you know they're first in the conference in scoring average. If you want to go to more traditional statistics, <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, like this is one
0: of those things where just like looking at the whole game as a like in its totality before we even switch to the defense, Oregon's offense is going to score and it's going to score on a majority of its drives. And so, like what, what, how can Washington match, um, in, in on the road against against a rival um, that has just a ton of film to go off of too, because. The, the, there are some pretty clear like tendencies and, and weaknesses now that, that can be derived from the film available on this Washington team. So um, just wanted to bring that up.
1: Yeah, I mean, one way you'd think as a road team facing an offense that you're, you know, undermatched against is, you know, maybe you could generate some turnovers to try to, try to help even the odds. But the problem is Washington doesn't generate any turnovers. They're, they only have generated nine turnovers on the entire season. Um, you know, and, you know, we talk about Oregon, you know, that not being an area where Oregon has been particularly great this year either with only 14, but that's still almost double, you know, or, or 60% more than what Washington's done. Nine is only one per game. Um, they're plus three on the year. So the, I'd say the one area where their defense has is, is above average, you know, and maybe even good or, or really good is, is that, you know, sack rate, right? I mean, or sack sacks per game, at least they're, they're. Um, second in the conference in sacks with 26, which is a good number. They generate pressure. Their edges do a pretty good job, although they're going against the, the number one team in the country at preventing sacks. So how well is that advantage going to be able to be pressed for them?
0: Yeah, and I fully expect that there's going to be some, some opportunities for a player like Braylon Trice to create pressure because he's, he's a very, very good player. Um, he's a super talented edge. In my opinion, he's probably the best edge in the conference. Um, either him or La Latu from UCLA I think would probably be the two prime candidates to be the best guy. Um, ZTF uh, has been dealing with some injuries. He was in and out of the game last week against Oregon State. I'm not 100% sure what his status is. I'm sure he'll play, uh, but how healthy he'll be and how useful he'll be are up in, up for debate. Um, he And the problem with ZTF is he is very, very poor get, setting the edge as a run defender, uh, which I think is going to limit his utility and his snap count in this game, specifically if Oregon's able to stay ahead of the chains. Um, but Jer- Jeremiah Martin, opposite of Trice, has been an effective player. Um, not the pass rusher that Trice is. Very, very strong, consistent for the most part against the run. I'd argue he's Washington's best run defender, um, other than maybe Latoui Gasanoa, who's the the one defensive tackle I think watching Washington's film that brings uh, consistent plus value to their front. Like the the other guys that are rotating opposite of him, whether it's Jacob Bandes or M.J. Ale, um or Pehopa, or like they're all very mediocre. Um, is probably the best word I could think to describe them. But yeah, so it's gonna be it'll be interesting to see. I, I think that they'll create some pressure, but whenever there actually has been a breakdown where either Solar or Bass has lost, um, because the rest of the offensive line is holding up so well, it's just a one on one opportunity for Knicks, and Nicks is gonna win that and get out on on most occasions against most players. Uh, despite quality so i i think that oregon's um ability to uh to dictate the terms of this game offensively both uh due to balance and being able to run the ball uh is also going to be something that slows down a pass rush that um has actually not been as good when it's been in very clear um uh, passing situations
1: gotcha so so you're saying their pass rush is more effective in in a situation where it's not clear, clearly a pass, right? So maybe a first down or a second down or something. Is that what you're yeah. saying? Yes. Okay. Fine. So in a, in a clear third and long kind of passing situation, they're not as effective. It's interesting.
0: Yeah. Uh, from what I've seen, that's, that's the case. I mean, they, they, they try to blitz, they they run some games, but from what I've seen, they're best when guys like Braylon Trice can just win and win in isolation. Um, and when teams get into third and long situations, they're often, tr- uh, uh, either you doing max protection or getting chips and, and, and just finding creative ways to uh, assist the tackle in that matchup.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, looking at it from Washington's point of view, too, I think your other opportunity here, if you're going to try to slow down the Oregon offense at all, is maybe going to be in the red zone, right? I mean, Oregon had had some issues against Washington State way back when, and then, you know, they kind of resurfaced a little bit against Cal. Um, and then even in Colorado, you know, there was some, some stalled out drives down there, you know, or where, where Oregon didn't convert on, on fourth down. So that, that might be one area where Washington has some hope. I don't know if that's so much something that they're capable of doing, or is it's more of Oregon, you know, Oregon versus Oregon kind of situation. So we'll see how that plays out.
0: Yeah. I mean, like Oregon's averaging 5.24 points per quality drive. So like the, a lot of the, I think you can isolate. Red zone struggles down to really mostly the first half of the Washington State game, um, and then maybe a one off drive here or there throughout the next through throughout the other eight games, uh, like specifically against Georgia, obviously. Uh, but for the most part, they've been very very effective when they've gotten into the green area of getting into the end zone.
1: Yeah, absolutely. They're seventy five percent, I think, on the year in uh, red zone touchdown percentage, and second in the conference in scoring touchdowns once they get down there. So,
0: yeah. So that those are numbers that favor Washington. I think I think like this is probably a good uh pivot point for us because Washington's chance to stay in this game or keep this game competitive is going to be uh, behind their passing game and going up against an Oregon secondary that um statistically doesn't grade out great um and has has been prone to giving up some some yardage uh in games this year.
1: Yeah, I, I would agree with that and, and if you look at Washington's offense, you know, like you said it's primarily about the passing game, they really don't run the ball effectively at all. I, I mean, they're the, t- the basically the 10th the 10th best rushing attack in this conference. Um, you yeah, know, one of the worst uh which, you know, I think if you look at the two teams that are behind them and you're talking about Colorado and and I don't know, maybe Arizona is the other one. I didn't I didn't look, but um they're not a good running team at all they don't have they don't particularly get a good push from their line and I think you probably have those stats handy and their running backs are are you know pretty average i guess I would say so they don't run the ball um very well at all they and they don't really try to run the ball at all the last uh five games which are the games they've been competitive you know all the way through the game they they're basically passing at a two to one rate um like you know versus rushing and you can see why because they're just they're not effective they're not effective running the ball they're averaging four yards a carry on the season um and you know they're just not very effective at, at trying to get uh trying to get yards on the ground yeah so they're
0: they're 74th in average line yards um so definitely not not a team that's been really effective running the ball they've been teams have really been able to make them one-dimensional and frankly like whenever the game has been tight they've made themselves one-dimensional um, in their last five games where they're 0 and 5 against the spread, they, they're averaging throwing the ball 50 times a game. Um, which is like Mike Leach air raid level of like passing uh, in terms of like favoring the pass. Uh, they've made a switch recently, kind of made a switch. I mean, um, Tala, Tala, oh, I can't even say his name, Papa, whatever, the running back. Papa. Um, would Wayne Telepapa yeah, has been the primary back most of the year. Um, Cameron Davis has been getting more more snaps lately. I think he's a more dynamic player. He's better. He's just a better athlete. He's better out of the backfield. Um, I'm really not sure what the attachment has been to Talapapa for them because he's basically like a poor man's version of Cyrus Bibi Lecchio for Oregon a couple of years ago. Uh, someone that doesn't really offer a ton of explosiveness in the run game. Um, I've, I've actually been like kind of surprised at how not great Talapapa is as a, as a, uh, a stay in pass blocker um in in when they when they try to keep six in or get a chip i figured like a, th- a thicker back who depends more on power and motor uh would likely be a good pass protector but he's i i've not been particularly impressed like against oregon state he really struggled in matchups when isolated on backers um so that that'll be an interesting piece to watch i think that's part of why they've maybe been making the switch to cameron davis uh just release the back instead and get a better athlete out in space and, and that someone that can uh make difficult catches like the catch he made to um late in that game to basically kind of put it away uh, down in the red zone against Oregon State in the fourth quarter um but yeah so i, I would i would say that Cameron Cameron Davis is def- definitely the back to watch for um they don't have a ton of explosive runs but when when they do run the ball with him is when they tend to be a little, in my opinion more successful
1: uh, and, and more dynamic. Yeah, it certainly seemed that way to me in watching them. And I, I, I think I even messaged some some Husky fans and be like, why, why are you guys playing Talapapa so much and not Davis more? He just seems like the more effective back. And and it finally seemed to start happening as you said the last couple of weeks. But um, you know, obviously with Washington, it's all about Michael Penix and Roma Dunze and Jalen McMillan and and Polk and and their passing game. And and obvious, you know, you see so much about oh, all the yardage and. And all the yards per game and the total yardage and, and passing and and whatnot on the year, but you know from from an efficiency standpoint, they're they're not they're not you, they're it doesn't look as good as when you look at the volume numbers, right? Um, it's certainly a dangerous passing attack, and I'm I'm not going to take away anything from them. But I mean, they're only they're sixth in the conference in yards per per pass attempt. Um, Penix is the fifth rated passer in the conference behind you know rising Knicks. Um, Caleb Williams and um and, and DTR. So they're they're certainly you know rack up a lot of yardage and and mostly on third down. That's the other thing. They they don't their offense does not move the ball well on first and second down, but they convert well on third. Well and this is the interesting piece right
0: because Oregon like defensively they've struggled against the pass they've surrendered a ton of yards between the 20s but it's typically been like more of a dink and dunk operation for offenses to get yardage some stuff over the middle but that that's typically when they leave the middle of the field open because of a pressure, uh, but like when you look at the the splits for Washington passing against man versus zone, their explosive pa- uh, explosive pass rate drops off substantially. Um, only eight point eight percent explosive play rate throwing the ball against zone against Oregon State, twelve point five percent against Cal, ten point seven percent against Arizona State. Um, all, all very poor numbers against teams that primarily played zone against them. Um, the completion percentage and the yards per completion both dropped substantially against zone as well. Um, and so if you're playing against an offense like Washington, where I think the, the best thing for Oregon is like to be okay um, allowing allowing them to complete stuff underneath, uh, try to limit yak opportunities, tackle well in the open field, but then just tighten the screws as you get down t- towards the green area. Like You're just going to have to be okay surrendering yards um in a game where it like the only way that they win or keep keep pace is through explosives and when the field condenses that it gets smaller it gets more difficult for a team that doesn't have a great power a great or reliable power rushing game uh the other piece to this too is a team that's relying specifically in close games to throw the ball as much as Washington is and if Oregon's offense is rolling um it's if with if they're throwing the ball 50 times a game there's going to be a lot of opportunities um, at possessions for the Oregon offense, which if, if if this turns into a shootout where it's like going possession for possession, I think an Oregon defense that has largely done a very very good job of keeping the the lid on the defense and stopping explosive chunk passing plays uh, is going to be in a really good spot to find a couple stops, which will create the separation necessary to to uh, to win this game.
1: Yeah, I I look at. I, I totally agree with everything you're saying. I, I think I look at the, the Washington offense as, um, you know, they're going to move the ball in Oregon. They're going to rack up a lot of yards. And it, I think it to me, there's a lot of parallels between this game and the UCLA game, right, in the at least particularly on that side of the ball. Um, obviously, UCLA is a much more balanced offense. Um, but the way Oregon was able to tighten things down, you know, once it got onto their side of the field and forced UCLA to kick field goals, Instead of you know going for touchdowns, I'll be curious to see how that plays out here. If if it plays out the same way, and if Deboer and team take the field goals, or if they they go for it more on fourth down, you know once they get kind of inside the inside it, the you know forty.
0: It's also important to note that all like most of if not all of all all of the interceptions in um, competitive games this year for Penix have come against zone coverage. Uh, where, where typically where it's a too high um, shell. And they're, they're impatient. He gets impatient and tries to force something downfield into a situation where an, an over-the-top safety can make a play on the ball. Um, I, that's the thing that's been so elite about Bo Nix that um, I think just because of the way that the Washington offense is structured and how pass-dependent they are, like can't will Michael Penix be satisfied to take the five-yard gain every time? Or is he going to try to push the ball vertically and force something um, into coverage because like for again for as much yard yardage which has been surrendered by this Oregon secondary, they've done a really good job defending um, defending explosives. And Brian Addison is really coming into form and because of his range and length um is starting to, to really pick up his interception rate um on playing playing deep safety. So the this is a matchup that's gonna be really interesting to me. This is there's gonna be a ton of pressure on this Washington offense to to keep pace. Um, and, I, and overall, I do think they're going to score. Like, I, I would probably um, expect them to score probably about 30 points in this game. But is 30 points enough when, because of the way that their offense is operating right now and, and, and just how much the clock stops in a pass-heavy offense, that they're going to be able to limit possessions and keep Oregon under 45 or 50?
1: Yeah, I'd, that seems very unlikely. I mean, I'd probably give Washington more than 30. I'd probably, you know, maybe even give them to 35, you know, five, you know, say five touchdowns. Um, but, I mean, Oregon's scored the last, I mean, they've scored more than 41 points every game other than Georgia. I mean, the last, they had 49, 42, 45, 49, 45, 44, 41. Um, and, and, that, and that's against defenses in most cases that are, much better than i you don't know better to much better than
0: washington's right i mean to, like for example like this washington defense is basically a poor man's version of the ucla defense that came in odds in a couple weeks ago like it's it the the highlight of the defense is the edge ucla is better at defensive tackle i think it's probably a push at linebacker and ucla is better in the secondary um and oregon scored on pretty much every drive in that game and so like what does this game look like in a situation where they're going up against a far worse passing defense um, and an, and a worse run rush defense as well, because like UCLA's rush EPA at the time was in the 30s, um, and, and this team is in the 80s, so we're, yeah. we're that's a pretty big gap that we're talking about here. And so, like in in terms of the way I look at this game, it's like w- the if this game is played a hundred times, I think Oregon wins 95 of them. And in those five, it's because Michael Penix and the passing game are just so lights out that they're scoring touchdowns on every drive and creating a lot of explosives.
1: Yeah, that that makes sense. Uh, Anything more about the Washington offense or Oregon defense in this game, or do you kind of want to get into maybe some intangibles and maybe strategy or game plan kind of thing? Yeah,
0: I think, I think that's a good, good place to transition. I just think I, I would assume most people understand, like with the Washington offense, um, they've, they've been pretty good at keeping Penix upright. Uh, it's also important to recognize the splits under pressure versus not pressured for Penix. He, he drops off pretty substantially. Uh, the receivers to look for, Romo Dunze, uh, very, very good player. Um, probably uh, top half of the draft draft pick this coming April. Um, Jalen McMillan, someone that Oregon fans should be familiar with as well. Um, re- really good player at receiver. This is probably the either the best or like, it's a top three group of receivers that Oregon's are this year. Um, the tight ends don't get utilized often, but uh, they have relied on Devin Culp to make some big plays uh, in key, like, conversion situations. Um, and I also think it's important to note that both Kalen DeBoer and Ryan Grubb are really good offensive coaches. And so, um, like, they are well-coached. They do have explosive playmakers at receiver. They do have an experienced quarterback who has multiple years of experience in this exact system. Um, the the it's just the problem is is that it's such a one-dimensional offense that that creates a lot of uh it it creates something that's like oregon because of how quality the defensive line has been and how good they've been against the run should be able to deploy minimum resources and get a lot like and and really stop the run and and make a one a one-dimensional offense
1: now we going off of that we saw that at the Arizona game right where Oregon really deployed a completely different defense kind of a 335 modified 335 to um to slow down the Arizona passing attack which worked to great success do you, do you see something maybe similar playing out this game I think they're just going to play a lot of dime in this game like I just
0: think that like I think that we'll see uh, especially with Jeffrey Bassett being out in the first half like when we, when Oregon has gone a dime um Bennett Williams has played like basically like a dime backer he's been like a linebacker um And they've either been rocking that with well, some it's usually been Bassa when he's out there, but I would assume it'd be flo or Sewell. Um, and to me, that is like I, I, you can Bassa, yeah, like you can
1: in the first half at least. you can no, no stop that's Jamal Hill that's out this half, not not Bassa.
0: Oh yeah, so yeah, so yeah, it'd be Bennett Williams. I forget that's Jamal Hill. um That also might cause some problems. Like I guess they they could just play three corners instead of an extra safety in their dime package. Uh, which they've also done this year, moving Gonzo around. Uh, I think Arizona is probably the closest thing to this game, and what 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 Oregon did is they had Gonzo follow Cowley. I think in this game, Gonzo is going to follow um, Odunze, and they're just going to be like, "Hey, throw to everybody else," because Gonzo is the best corner in the league right now. So, um, in in my opinion. They're going to play lighter personnel groupings defensively. Um, and I think that we're going to see a lot of Sims in this game trying to mix up zone uh, zone looks, man looks in the back half of the defense, uh, create confusion and just different surfaces for Penix, um, make him try to get through his reads and hesitate um, so that you can try to create some pressure, getting DJ Johnson back this week healthy, guys like Brandon Dorliss, um, as we talked about on our episode yesterday with Hith. Having bass out there um, on our Sims, I think is it's a really good way to get pressure. Uh, but I just think that having as many defensive backs on the field as possible um, to keep the lid on this thing is the best way to 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 defend Washington for Oregon.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. You know, both both these coaches are new to their respective programs, right? de DeBoer moving over from from Fresno, of course, and and Dan coming over from. From being the dc of georgia last year and winning the title and and all the staff here is new and most of the staff up there is new i think they had one or two holdovers a huff at at, uh, a line comes to mind you know i know we've seen in stuff out of oregon that you know there certainly doesn't seem to be any hesitancy in in buying into the you know, the, the rivalry and, and, you know, you heard Dan was piping in the Washington state or the Washington fight song into practice a couple times this week. And I think he and some of the other coaches and some of the other players have talked about it. Do you, how do you see the, you know, kind of that intangible, you know, if anything, how does that, you know, play out in this game or, or, or is that just all for fans? I would, I mean, no, I mean,
0: I think it matters. I, I would be more worried if, if the staff wasn't acknowledging it, but the players know the rivalry. Like a lot of the, like this is a pretty veteran team. A lot of the players. I mean, obviously Bo Nix has it, in the transfers and freshmen haven't played. But there's there's enough leaders on this team that have played in this rivalry that know the level of vitriol and hate. And I think that Lanning is. I mean, Landing has coached at a lot of places. He's been involved in some big rivalry games. I mean, being at Georgia, the Georgia Florida rivalry every year, um, among other SEC rivalries he 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 understands what these games mean like he's referenced multiple times this week to media um talking to former coaches talking to former players um just really kind of drilling in i think some of the some of the stuff that they've done this week in practice just really kind of education like from an educational standpoint teaching the players what this rivalry means uh, the guys that haven't been in it before um but i also think that like i think that that is going to create more pressure for the underdog in this game especially like for instance, like if you're Bo Nix, like playing in this game, playing in a rivalry game, like yeah, Washington Oregon's a big rivalry. It's the biggest rivalry west of Texas. But you know what's an even bigger rivalry than Oregon Washington? The Iron Bowl, and he's played in three of them, and he's won one. Um, and like that's Auburn Alabama, and he's a legacy who grew up hating Alabama and loving Auburn, right? So like for him, this is just going to be another game in some sense, just from the standpoint that he is going to be. Uh, free to just play football, right? He's not going to be encumbered by the pressure of the rivalry, which I think is going to be a good thing for him relative to a Washington team that I think as an underdog, knowing that they need to execute um, at an almost unsustainable level to be in a position to possibly win this game. I think that's going to put pressure and that could cause them to press if things don't go well early.
1: Yeah, I mean, obviously they're going to say the pressure's on Oregon, right? Because Oregon's number six in the college football playoff rankings and they want to run the table and make the playoffs. And so all the pressure's on Oregon. Washington's got nothing to lose. You know, the, the usual stuff that, that an underdog in this situation would absolutely say. Um, you know, let's look a little bit about Washington's road schedule this year. They've played three three road games. They went to UCLA and lost. And then they went to Arizona State and lost to, you know, a pretty bad Arizona State team that's in disarray with a, you know interim head coach. And they went on the road to um, Cal and, you know, won, but not not impressively, right? I mean, it was a game that went down to the wire, I think an eight-point game, uh, you know, kind of went back and forth all day. So they haven't really fared well on the road, you know, performance-wise, you know, only one win and two losses. Um, and beyond that, they haven't faced any kind of what I would call raucous road environment, right? UCLA is, is certainly not that Arizona state probably didn't have many people in the stands with the way their program's going. And, and Cal, you know, hasn't had very many people in their stands for a a few years now. So this will by far be the first like real road environment that their players play in this season. And a lot of those players, you know, are new.
0: And it's also important to recognize they're and three against the spread on the road. Like they have, they like have, they haven't, they haven't really executed well on the road. Like through three quarters against UCLA on the road, they had 16 points. So, um, I like I just I think it's a I think it's a lot to ask. I think not having a consistent efficient run game on the road is a is a problem because like that physicality is something that you can travel with and that can help you through portions of of a of a emotional road environment that are difficult, right? and the fact that they're going to be 100% reliant on the arm of of Michael Penix to get this done i just think limits the amount of pathways to victory or even to covering that they have right um so i don't, i just think i just think that Oregon's going to be able to control this game at the line of scrimmage um, and and really do get what it needs or get whatever it wants offensively like we've seen Oregon in, in the vast majority of its last 8 games substantially throttling down offensively in the second half and not having to really stretch. If Oregon is getting seven possessions in the first half, they're scoring 35 or more points. And Oregon hasn't lost a game in the last 27 when they've scored 40 or more. So keep,
1: keep that in mind. Yeah, very much so. And the kickoff time is good. It's a 4, 4 p.m. kickoff. So it'll be under the lights in Autzen with the yellow jerseys. I think the crowd's going to be hyped. Uh, I think, you know, I know the students will be, they've been doing a great job all year long. Um, and it's a but, massive recruiting weekend. Yeah. Yeah. Like, not point. just
0: for the class of 2023. I think just the, the, the quality of the prospects they're bringing in, they they're, they're going to be showcasing the environment uh, for those don't, that don't remember the 2018 Oregon game where we got the upset was actually the game that got Kayvon Thibodeau in the boat at Oregon. Um, and Oregon's bringing in the number one defensive lineman for this game in the country in, in uh, five-star pow defensive tackle uh, David Hicks. So um, basically every quality prospect for the next three classes from the state of Washington and the Seattle area uh, is coming down with Ford performance training, um, including some others, some pros- some high four and five star prospects from Arizona and Florida in the 23 and 24, sorry, 24 and 25 classes are coming in. A whole slew of commitments and 20 tw- high level 2023 prospects uh, from the state of Texas and Arizona are coming in. So this is like. This Dante is Dowdell another, will be here too. Yep. Dante Dowdell and, his te- uh, and two of his, one of his teammates and a friend of his from the 23 class. Uh, all from Mississippi are coming in. Like this is going to be a spectacle weekend for Oregon. And I, I, having been to every Oregon-Washington home game since I think 2000, it's always one of the more buzzy and fun environments, especially when it's a night game um, on Oregon's schedule. And so I'm sure that I'm sure that the fans will be all liquored up and ready to rock and roll, and it's going to be absolutely crazy in there yeah
1: absolutely. anything more you want to say about this game, or should we make our picks and move on? I think we make our picks because like i i think people are no know, know
0: where we're leaning on this game. Um, I made a bet in the preseason with a notable Washington fan, and I gave him fourteen and a half points, um, and they thought that was ridiculous and disrespectful, and they took it and so uh let's let's get to this line.
1: I made the same bet with the same guy, so um uh, yeah, the line, the line that we're using uh 13.5 in this game, so just under two touchdowns. And I'm taking Oregon. I I think they're going to cover that. I think they probably win by 17 to 20.
0: Yeah, I think that the key number here is 35 points for Washington uh or 36 points, I mean, if if cuz I think Oregon's dropping to 50 burger in this game. Uh rank, ranked opponent at home, uh, important to note. This is an opportunity for them to get some style points with the committee. Uh, I think Oregon's dropping a 50-burger in this game. So the question is, is, do I think that Oregon can hold Washington under 36? Um, and in my opinion, the answer is yes. Or I guess it would be 37 with the 13.5. But um, the answer is yes. I think this is going to be like a 52-30 game, uh, 52-27. So, uh, oh yeah, I'm going to take the Ducks to cover here.
1: All right. We have a full slate of games in the Pac-12 this week. But interesting note, every single one of them the home team is favored and all but one they're favored by double digits, so it's a typical Pac-12 game for this season. A lot of double these. digit lines. I hate these so much. <laughs> yeah, these are some tough ones, but uh, let's let's dive in. Um, we'll start with Colorado at USC. Um you know, Colorado was a 31 and a half point underdog at home to Oregon last week and Oregon I think one by 38, so Oregon covered no problem. 39. Now, 39? Yeah, yep. okay. So there you go. Uh, they covered. Now they're, Colorado's going on the road to the Coliseum to take the Trojans, and this time the spread is 34.5. Can't be. Yeah, taking, Are you sticking to, your, to your, yep. your mantra? This one's like an instant
0: fire, no thought applied, give me USC.
1: Okay. Here's the interesting thing about this game. USC is not covering. Like They haven't been covering all year. They've been playing close games against bad teams week after week after week. Uh, yeah, Colorado is Col- another level of bad, of course. <laughs> so, Colorado is
0: the cure for the common cover.
1: <laughs> the cure for the common cover. Yeah. I I don't know why I'm hesitating on this one, QB. I don't no, know why. Iron
0: in Colorado. I know you want to. Just do it. Pick different. It's fun. Okay. I just. If you haven't learned at this point, I mean, what, what is Colorado's record against the spread? Just remind me. I don't know. They got one, right? They, they, <laughs> they're, yeah, they're, 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 they're two and seven against the spread.
1: One and seven or, or
0: two and seven? Two and seven against the spread. They beat Cal outright, and then they backed to covered against Arizona
1: State. That's right. On the punt return late so, in the game. Or whatever. So basically, right, against all the all two right. worst teams. Do You're going to talk me into USC. Thank you.
0: Don't Thank you for saving of? me. Thank That's you for wrong. talking
1: me off the ledge. No, take Colorado. I'd I, I actually nope, prefer I'm it. going with USC. I'm going with All USC. Right. All
0: right. Uh, heading over to Pullman, Arizona state goes on the road. Uh, Washington state is an eight point favorite at home. Um, I went first last time. So this is your turn.
1: Yeah. It's, you know, a week ago, I would have picked Arizona state in this game. Um, Cause Washington state's offense had, had really been struggling and, you know, they hadn't, they'd not been losing, hadn't been covering. But, you know, it seems like Stanford is the cure for, for every bad offense. And Washington State was able to just absolutely steamroll them to 42 points in the first half, 52 total. So maybe that broke them out of their funk. They are playing at home where they're certainly a much better team than they are on the road. Uh, I'm going to take the Cougars to cover this one.
0: Yeah, I uh, I tend to lean that way as well. I'm also going to take the Cougs. Uh, I don't think that their, per, their rushing performance against Stanford is repeatable against anybody other than Arizona. Um, but it's just one of those things where I think this defense is I, – I still think Washington State is a very quality defense overall. Um, and for as solid as this Arizona State offense has been um, since they pushed Borgay into the lineup – I I don't think that they're going to be able to do a whole lot in Pullman.
1: Agreed. All right. This one will be yours first. Cal goes on the road to Reeser to take on the Beavers. Beavers are a 14-point home favorite in this one. Yeah, I'm going to take Cal. Yeah, me too. (laughs) I had Cal on this one. Yeah. I just think Oregon State's passing woes and and lack of effective quarterback play are going to make sure that games stay close.
0: Yeah, And just a friendly reminder to everybody that Justin Wilcox does not play to win. He plays to cover. And so two touchdowns gives quite a bit of leeway for Justin Wilcox to cover this game. Um, And so, yeah, I I just think that I actually think that California's offense is maybe finding something. But I think Oregon State, I think this is a game that I'm very likely going to bet the under depending on what it closes at. Um, I don't think there's going to be a lot of scoring in this game.
1: Yeah, I would tend to agree with that. I think both the defenses are, are better than the offenses, so I think that's a, that's a wise a wise choice there. So let's uh, move on. I think, am I up first on the next one? Yep. All right, so that's going to be Stanford at Utah. 24-point <laughs> home favorite for Utah, and I'm not hesitating at all. Give me the Utes all day. Yeah, They're so going to gonna roll. Yeah, I have nothing to add on that other than Stanford is butt,
0: so we're taking Utah. You're up. Um in Oh wow. I didn't even know this was a game this week. Okay. Uh Arizona going on the road to UCLA. Uh Pasadena is gonna be absolutely buzzing with about 15 people in the stands for this game. Uh the line is nineteen and a half points in favor of UCLA. I oh <laughs> It's a tough one. Uh, I'm gonna take i I'm just gonna. I'm gonna stick with home favorites this week. I'm gonna take UCLA. Arizona uh, is down Cowing, which I think is actually a problem for them. Um, he's been super dynamic. He's been a big play, play uh, threat for them. I think they'll they'll be able to do some things offensively, but they actually don't run the ball well and they don't sustain drives particularly well. UCLA pass rush is good, and UCLA is gonna be able to run the ball for six thousand million yards against this Arizona front um with or without zach charbonnet
1: yeah i i have ucla in this one as well i i think the loss of cowing arizona just hasn't been they've kind of been self-destructive we talked about it you know on their game last week they just kind of self-destructed over and over again in that game uh you know i think the one thing you could say and this might apply to to usc to a lesser extent but but utah and ucla is you know there's a potential look ahead games right so you're looking ahead to the big showdowns next week but I don't I don't think that's gonna matter here. I think UCLA will, will cover the nineteen and a half in this one. All
0: right, you heard it here first. Um moving on here to our national games this week. We have Alabama uh coming off their second loss of the season, officially eliminated from uh playoff contention and for all intents and purposes uh removed from SEC West uh title contention. Uh, going on the road to Oxford to play Ole Miss as an 11.5-point road favorite. Uh, I'm, I'll go first on this one. I'm taking Alabama. I've taken Alabama a lot this year. Alabama has let me down a lot this year, specifically on the road. Uh, the one thing I'll say about this game, though, is that Ole Miss structurally, defensively, uh, plays really light boxes, and they really struggle against the run. Alabama has not been able to just like line up and pound it on teams this year, but Jameer Gibbs is an exceptional player, and everybody has been able to line up and pound it on Ole Miss. I also think that Ole Miss, offensively, is kind of one-dimensional. So I'm going to take Bama to cover here. Um Not super confident in this pick. This isn't a game that I would bet, but, uh, yeah, taking the tide.
1: Yeah, I, um, I've um i been going back and forth on this one because you kind of see it as, like, okay, Alabama lost. So actually, you know, they're going to just destroy whoever they play next. But the other thing, you know, Ole Miss is playing for something here. Um And... They're, uh, you know, they're a pretty good team, and Lane Lane's got that team rolling pretty well, and they're playing at home, obviously, in a in a big big game for them. And you could you could see this one go either way. And they're coming off the buy. What's that?
0: And they're coming off a. They're coming off
1: the buy. There you go. So I'm going to stick with my original gut, and I'm going to take the rebels. I
0: don't (laughs) think they're going to
1: win, but I think they're going to keep it within within the 11 and a half.
0: Yeah, that's totally reasonable. It wouldn't surprise me at all. Um. Moving on to actually like a pretty important game from a near six standpoint. Uh, this game likely dictates who gets the at large bid for the group of five into the near six. Uh, you have UCF going on the road to Tulane as a two point underdog. Tulane favored by two at home. Uh, what do you got on that one, Doug?
1: Well, I picked against the wave, if you remember, way back when, and I, that was not a good choice by me. Um I I think I thought they used to be called the Green Wave, but apparently yeah. they're just called the Wave.
0: No, they're the Green Wave, so. Or
1: the Green Wave. Okay, I've seen it listed on some places as just the Wave, so I wasn't sure if they dropped the green or something. But um I'm going to take the Wave. I think they're I think they're the better team. They're also playing at home. I think they're on a mission to make that um the Cotton Bowl, which is the Group of 5 spot this year, so I'm going to take Tulane.
0: All right. Uh I will also be taking Tulane. UCF extremely one-dimensional offensively Tulane is very competent defensively um, I this just seems I just think this is a game that Tulane wins outright and if they're winning outright the odds that they're winning by at least two are, are pretty good so um going to take the green wave here
1: all right moving over to the big 12 we got a couple a couple of games we're going to cover there the first one being Kansas State traveling to Baylor Uh, It's a three-point favorite for Baylor at home, so basically, you know, toss-up on a neutral field kind of situation. Who do you like in this one?
0: I like Baylor. Uh, Baylor's just gotten a lot better. A lot of people, uh, Oregon fans, West Coast fans, only really remember the uh, BYU debacle on the road uh, in Provo. Yeah, Provo. Uh, uh, This game has a lot of Big Twelve title implications. Actually, this is this is two teams that are six and three. Battling it out, I think both are are, uh, only have two conference losses. Depending on the outcome of the TCU-Texas game, this game could go a long way to determining who plays TCU in the conference title game. So, really important game down in Waco. I'm taking Baylor. I think that uh, Baylor up front is probably the best equipped team in the Big 12 to slow down the run game for Kansas State. And now that Adrian Martinez is back in the lineup, I'm actually less bullish on the Kansas State offense. Uh, More one-dimensional. They don't like throw the ball nearly as explosively uh, without will howard in the lineup um, and it sounds like kansas state has made the decision to redshirt will howard this year so they're going to roll with adrian martinez the rest of the way so uh really like baylor here to uh to get this win and cover at home
1: yeah i think Baylor's a different team now i mean they beat oklahoma last week they destroyed texas tech the week before they beat up on kansas the week before that uh, so since that loss to West Virginia like a month ago, they've they've kind of turned the corner and looked a, you know more. I don't say like last year's Baylor team, and that's not correct, but they they certainly looked like a more a more capable winning team. And like you said, Kansas State's kind of been heading in the opposite direction at the same time. So, uh, I think it's it's a team on an upward trajectory versus a team on a downward trajectory. So I'm going to take the upward trajectory home team Baylor. Sounds good.
0: Uh, staying in the Big Twelve, but heading over to Austin, Texas, we have. I believe this is the game day game this week. Uh, TCU going on the road to Texas. Texas is a seven-point home favorite. Uh, The casual fan will hear this line and be like, how is the number four team in the the college football playoff rankings a seven-point favorite to a three-loss Texas team? Uh, Because that's not how power ratings work, and Texas has actually been the better team, uh, especially with TCU down their top receiver in this game, or at least him not playing at full capacity. I I think that Texas is going to be in prime position to win and cover this game. Um, I think that whatever has been wrong with Texas's vertical passing game gets fixed against a TCU team that's been giving up a lot of explosives this year. So uh, I'll take the Longhorns at home in front of a huge recruiting weekend for them as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting. You know, TCU's been playing with fire, as we've talked about, you know, over and over and over again. Um, I guess I would expect the voodoo dolls will will mean that that they seem to have every week against opposing teams, starting quarterbacks will mean that, you know, maybe Quinn Ewers misses some time in this game or else that streak will, will finally end after like six straight weeks or something. But I, you know, TCU gets down in games. Uh, Funny enough, Texas has been letting teams back in games at the end. So it's, it's almost like, will this one play out to form for both of those teams. I guess we'll watch and see how that plays out. But I think, uh, I think Texas is gonna, is gonna win this one as well. In their seven-point favorite, I actually think they win by more than that. I think they, I think they're going to kind of run away with this one. To be honest, I got Texas. Yeah,
0: yeah, I think that this is where the TCU dam finally breaks.
1: Great story. They're obviously going to end up in the in the Big Twelve title game and still still have an outside shot at the playoffs, or certainly a Sugar Bowl berth at, at the worst case. If, but I do think they're they're they roll ends.
0: Yeah. 100% agree. Uh, moving over to the Big Ten, we have Purdue going on the road to Illinois. Illinois is a six-and-a-half point favorite at home, bouncing back after a loss to Michigan State. Uh, this game I don't believe has really any serious Big Ten West implications. Oh, actually, yeah, I do think it is because I think
1: Wisconsin – I think it will is- essentially decide it.
0: Yeah. Um, Purdue has been really struggling lately. Uh, I'm, I'm going to take Illinois here at home. Um, I think that they get right offensively. Illinois actually moved the ball really, really well against Michigan State, but just completely, like, was incapable of scoring points in the red zone last week. I think that they'll figure out a way against a Purdue defense that has really struggled um, for the most part this entire year. So, uh, I'll take, I will take the Fighting Illini at home in the six with uh, giving the six and a half.
1: Yeah, I'm taking. I'm taking Illinois to cover as well. I think they were embarrassed last week with their, you know, letdown performance that really took a lot of shine off of off of what's still going to be a, a really successful season for them, but um I, I like them to bounce back in a big way at home this week and and take out the Boilermakers. And cover. Perfect.
0: Perfect. Last game of the week, we've got Wake Forest going on the road to UNC. Uh that is I think 8 and 1. Uh, number one in the coastal, top fifteen UNC. Wake Forest is a three and a half point favorite. Um, I've been riding with the Demon Deacons the last couple weeks. They've let me down each of the last couple weeks with eleven turnovers the last two. Uh, I hey, think. Four, hey, QB
1: QB. Before you make your pick, I might have the home road wrong on this one. Well, I'm just double checking. I think Wake is at home.
0: I I don't. It's not changing my pick.
1: Okay, Wake is at home. My bad
0: okay so wakes at home north carolina is traveling to name that city doug
1: wake forest uh shoot i would have known this way back in the day uh when they had like tim duncan i used to watch watch them play basketball i don't remember
0: okay uh, I, don't, I don't actually know it.
1: So
0: <laughs> I was hoping that you would. Um...
1: <laughs> I thought you were like quizzing me. You were just like
0: hoping for me to bail you out. Well, I, w- I was quizzing you, but I was also just hoping that you would know. Winston, Salem, North Carolina. Ah, that's it. Where, wasn't that where the witch trials were?
1: Yes. No, that was in Salem, Massachusetts.
0: Oh, look, look at that. I'm stupid. Okay. Um, yeah. Winston, Salem. Know.
1: Like, think about like tobacco. Winston, Salem.
0: Winston, I want to. I want to propose a point to you on this game, Doug. Do you know the most points uh, against a Power 5 team that Miami has scored this year, who that was against?
1: My guess is it was against North Carolina. Yeah, they
0: suck defensively. Um, They are basically a one-man army uh, with Drake May at quarterback, and I think that they'll score some points, but I think that Wake Forest will score even more. So I think Wake Forest finally gets right. Um, and gets the win here, covers the, the, uh, the three-and-a-half-point
1: favorite that they have. Well, QB, I have good news for you, or potentially bad news for you. Hmm. So I'm also taking Wake, which means we <sighs> picked the same on 11 out of 12 games this week, which means we're either going to both do really well or we're both going to suck. Yeah. I'm hoping for well. We're Again, doing- I like when I do well and you suck. Well, sorry. <laughs> I mean, no. I guess, I guess if uh, if Alabama covers against Ole Miss, you'll beat me by one. So
0: that's that's actually going to be a really interesting game to decide it because it's not a game that actually is probably my least confident pick this week.
1: That, that was my least confident as well, although it was like hemming and hawing on USC Colorado in 34 and a half points. So, I mean, it's,
0: here's the deal it sounds like a lot, but all it would take is for USC to finally just have like the get right offensive game where they just kind of explode in the first half, yeah. and that game gets covered easily.
1: I, really, I don't think I always worry about the backdoor cover with a spread that huge. But But it's Colorado. But it's Colorado. Yeah, that's the thing. Can they really do that? I mean, they did against Arizona State. But yeah, but they
0: didn't do it offensively. They did it with a punt. Yeah, on a punt
1: return. That's not repeatable. No.
0: Or not like how? Like how many times are they gonna like? Are are you really worried that they're gonna have like? Is lightning gonna strike twice? Are they gonna hit two backdoor covers on special teams touchdowns?
1: No. No. What's that parley? Would be with what? What would that be worth? I have no idea. Parlay. Parley? Parley. It's a parlay. Parlay. Okay.
0: I think I think you're thinking of barley. Maybe you want to drink some beer.
1: I was thinking like parlay, like like you know, the old time, like if you were gonna like have a, a discussion around terms like in a war kind of situation. It Used to be called like a parlay. Hmm. You know what's good? What?
0: Bombay. Bombay? <laughs> Isn't that an alcohol? I think
1: so. It's also a city.
0: What country is Bombay in?
1: India, although it's called Mumbai now. Bombay is like the old English name that we don't use anymore.
0: What part? What part of the Indian Peninsula is Mumbai in?
1: That would be in the south east coast. Wrong. Really?
0: Oh, bummer. It, it's like halfway up the west coast. Okay, um, so I was on the wrong coast. Yeah, I think. Yeah, you're thinking of wow. There's a lot of very similarly named cities um, in
1: India. All right. Well, before I fascinating conversation <laughs> on our on our football podcast, <laughs> <laughs> Indian Indian geography. Um, I love I love geography. We, should do, um, that. we should do that. That's why I'm so mad at myself for missing that. I think we should do a
0: 50 states quiz with capitals at some point.
1: This, uh, yeah we, that's great off season content. We get a lot say. of off season content. We're going to need to fill out. That's a great <laughs> one.
0: I think that is, I think that's where we start with the off season content. Like, okay. Yeah. I've got, I've got some ideas. Perfect. But I no, think it's a good, good place. Good place to wrap this, uh, absolute train wreck of an ending to a podcast. Wait, we're not going to talk
1: about college football playoff rankings.
0: I don't, do they matter? Not yet. <laughs> Uh, Oregon is six. Um, Tennessee is fifth. Tennessee plays three crappy teams. Oregon has an opportunity to play four pretty good teams. Um, If Oregon continues to win, I think at this point they do control their own destiny in terms of getting in. Yeah, I do. Do you think that's fair to assume?
1: Yeah, I've posted about it on Twitter a ton. I think it's really interesting listening to all the podcasts and all the talking heads on TV and... There there seems to be a very strong opinion among a plurality of them that that there's no way that Oregon will pass Tennessee. And and I just don't know what they're looking at, Uh, you know, based on, you know, eight years of history. I actually think it's much more likely that Oregon uh, now assuming like obviously you're going to assume both teams went out. Right. Let's put that. And that's not that's a big assumption because Oregon has a lot of tough games ahead of them but you know we're here talking about what would happen in that scenario right not saying that scenario is definitely going to happen um and i think in that scenario like the history would show that that the absolutely oregon being only one behind right now and that's why i said when that ranking came out the fact that they were already just one behind with you know with washington a ranked washington team a ranked utah team uh, Oregon State team, which will be at the cusp of the rankings, if not in, and then you know whoever they play in the Pac-12 title game will be ranked again, right? And then you know uh, Tennessee's got a three and six uh, Vanderbilt team, a four and five South Carolina team, and a five and four. Um, I don't remember who the other team is, but not very good team. Uh, so it's it's really hard for me to see the you know that that resume boost not pro, not propelling Oregon ahead and i think the other thing that a lot of a lot of people keep downplaying when they talk about this nationally is the impact of having that 13th game and the conference title in your back pocket i mean the the committee has been clear about that for 8 years about the conference title absolutely matters and yet nobody who talks about this for a living or not nobody but a lot of the people who talk about this for a living completely ignore that aspect <laughs> over and over and over again i've been i've been kind of blown away by it to be honest because it it really does matter uh, the committee has never picked a one-loss non-division winner over a one-loss conference champ power 5 conference champion um they never even picked a one-loss you know conference title game loser over a, a one-loss power 5 non-conference champion and and they've repeatedly said over and over again that the conference titles matter. It's in their protocol that they matter. It's a, one of the criteria. And I thought the committee chair, Boo, his I don't remember his last name, but his first name's Boo. What a great name, or his nickname, I'm sure. Boo talked this week about, specifically was asked about Oregon and and Tennessee, and he basically said that they consider those games both beatdowns. That wasn't his word, but in, in whatever word he used, right? They were dominant victories, right? So the committee clearly didn't see, they're not looking at the margin of victory, right? Which makes sense because, you you know, the, the game conditions were very different. Um, but they were, they both, they consider both of those teams dominant losses. So I think, I think Oregon will absolutely pass Tennessee should that scenario play out. That was a very long-winded answer to your simple question. Ah, big gulps, huh? Well, see you later.
0: <laughs> I I don't know why Doug. Like I just you got into a flow state there, and I just didn't want to interrupt. That was yeah. tremendous. That yeah. was tremendous. This, this, this is the stuff were, I nerd out
1: on, man. This you, is the you, stuff where I'm like you and Hithliday on yesterday's pod, right? Well, I'll just get going on this stuff and talk. Yeah, for no, you. Minutes.
0: You were cooking like it was. That was like watching like Ray Allen on a great shooting night in like two thousand five. Like I just try to stay out of the way. I just like try to get some boards and like not not trip you up. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah. No, I appreciate that. You know, on the macro level, I think the top three the, the order of Ohio State, Michigan doesn't matter. I'd have Michigan first right now, but it doesn't matter. They'll play each other. Georgia's in. You know, barring some sort of tremendous collapse, or in regardless of what happens in the SEC title game with them. Uh Ohio State, Michigan winners in. I think the loser is going to need some help, especially if the loser is Michigan. Their non-con schedule and and everything. In fact, the loser of that game, their best win on the season will be Penn State. Uh, and that might be their only ranked win. So I think the loser of that game is gonna need help. Um, you know, TCU being above Tennessee is the right thing for right now. And again, that that reinforces the fact that even though they don't have a conference title yet, the, the fact that they're the conference leader, I think, reinforces that. The committee values that. Um, I, I think if TCU loses, even if they run the table the rest of the way, an 11, a 12-1 TCU is going to not be ranked ahead of a 12-1 and Pac-12 champ. I think Oregon, or particularly Oregon and USC, would definitely be ahead of, of TCU in that scenario. I think the ACC is out. I mean, Clemson being 10th, North Carolina being 17th or whatever they are. Uh, there's no scenario where I see Clemson crawling their way back into it outside of utter chaos above them.
0: Yeah, yeah, I'd agree with that. Can I, can I ask you an off-topic question? Like, what are two of your favorite comedy movies of all time? Because uh, this whole time you've been talking, I've been kind of going on like a little bit of a tangent, like mentally, just ADD brain. Um, and I was thinking that like Office Space and Dumb and Dumber have to be two of the top five.
1: Well, you got one out of two. I mean, I, I haven't put together a, a comedy movie ranking in a long time. I Comedy movies are kind of a dead thing, as we've talked about offline many times. Um, Office Space like, is certainly in, my, in a top list. I Although I, I can't stand Dumb and Dumber. I've watched it once. I hated it. I've never watched so it. Is yet.
0: that why you didn't get my Big Gulps reference just now? Yes. You, Probably. Oh,
1: yeah. That's disappointing. Yeah. hate that movie.
0: But if I made a TPS Reports reference in the next podcast. I would know that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's good. So if you could do that, uh, that'd be great.
1: <laughs> yeah, that that's definitely up there. It's one of my favorites, and it's so so. Even now, twenty something years later, oh, it still it's hits. perfect. It still it's,
0: hits. It still hits the same because you know what? Somehow, in twenty something years, I, I've grown up in that time, and freaking Freak copy off. machines still suck. Yes.
1: <laughs> Some so things ever... you have to use them occasionally, and you're like, What the hell? Why do I got to do this? Can I just send a document like, through the digital document? Why do I you know? Are, are you ready for me to bring this poetically full circle? Yes, in the last 25 years since that movie has
0: come out, you, you know what? Two things are consistent copy machines still suck, and the ducks still on the huskies. And on that bombshell, we will be ending the podcast. Wanted to thank everybody for listening. Uh, follow the podcast at QB11 show. I think we're almost to 600 followers. It'd be awesome. I really appreciate the engagement there. That's typically where we ask for uh, questions for our bellbag episodes. So i uh, love to up the engagement there on that and just kind of, I don't know, we want to bring the, bring the listener in a little bit more often here. Uh, the other. Um, piece here is uh, we've gotten a few more five star reviews recently. We really appreciate those if you are a frequent listener to the podcast, uh, it really means a lot to us. It helps the podcast grow um, as we approach the size now where hopefully uh, we might be able to bring on a sponsor and maybe actually like make enough money to where Doug can buy me a beer so that'd be good um, so yeah, keep that in mind guys. we really appreciate all the support and we will talk to you on Sunday after hopefully the What would this be? The 17th win in 19 years?
1: I think we are at, well, we had the 12 in a row and then three, we are at 15 of 17 right now. So it would be 16 out of 18. Okay.
0: 16 out of 18. That sounds just as good to me. And
1: four straight. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah.
0: And I think that'll make it like, we're over 2000 days since they last beat us. Right. Because it's been almost five years.
1: Yeah. 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 We're getting up there.
0: Yeah, so that'd be fun. So we'll talk about that all on Sunday after hopefully a dominant Oregon win. Uh, Screw the Huskies and go Ducks.